For the rest of us, I invite us to open up our Bibles to the book of Galatians and uh, to chapter 4 as we continue our Advent series, which we are calling The Gifts of Christmas. What we're doing this month is we are meditating on a few verses that Paul writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, about gifts that have come to us through the coming of the Lord Jesus into, onto, into earth. And uh, last week, Roger opened up for us the gift of redemption that Paul mentions in these verses. And this morning, we're looking at the gift of adoption. Now, I'm curious, before I read the passage, how many of you, uh, adoption has touched your family story in some way or other? Perhaps you have adopted children, you are adopted, or there are adoptees in your family uh, somewhere down the line. Okay, a few of us. Yes, um, all of us know of amazing adoption stories. Well, Paul for us this morning is actually going to tell us about the most amazing adoption story of all time, our adoption, our adoption story, how we have been spiritually adopted into the family of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about it, the Christmas story really is an adoption story. It's a story about an adopted son, Jesus, adopted by his father, Joseph, who came to make it possible for us to be the adopted children of God. So Paul, in writing verses four through seven, unfolds or opens for us this wonderful gift of our adoption. Let's read together our adoption story. I'll start reading in verse four of Galatians four. Paul writes saying, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so... You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father, as we look at these verses from Galatians 4 together, we pray that the Spirit would be our divine teacher. He would come and implant these truths in our hearts and minds so that we might love Jesus more. We pray these things in his name. Amen. As Paul opens up and unfolds for us this amazing gift of spiritual adoption, he begins by starting with the negative side of our adoption story. He actually tells us what it is that we have been adopted out of. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came so that he might redeem us out of the orphanage of this world. We lived in the harsh conditions of the orphanage of this world, and Jesus came into the world to rescue us out of it. It, Russell Moore, in his amazing book, Adopted for Life, that uh, had a huge impact on Hannah and I and our own journey through adoption, he starts his book by telling the story of how he and his wife first met their two adopted boys in Russia. It's It's an amazing story. He starts by saying, the first time I ever saw my two boys, They were lying in excrement and vomit, covered in heat blisters and flies, in an orphanage somewhere in the little mining community in Russia. 
Maria and I had applied to adopt and had gone on the first of two trips, not knowing who, if anyone, would be waiting for us. Immediately upon landing in the former Soviet Union, I wondered if we'd made the worst mistake of our lives. Sitting in a foreign airport with the smell of European perfume, no offense, Pastor Caleb, human sweat and cigarette smoke wafting all around us, Maria and I recommitted to God that we would trust him and that we would adopt whomever he directed us to, regardless of what medical or emotional problems they may have. A Russian judge told us she had two gray-eyed boys picked out for us, both of whom had been abandoned by their mothers to a hospital in the little village about an hour from where we were staying. Sure enough, the orphanage authorities, through our translators, cataloged a terrifying list of medical problems, including fetal alcohol syndrome for one, if not both, of the boys. We looked at each other as if to say, this is what the Lord has for us, so here we go. The nurse led us up some stairs down a dank hallway into a tiny room with two beds. I can still see the younger of the two, now Timothy, rocking up and down against the bars of his crib, grinning widely. The older, now Benjamin, was more reserved, stroking my five o'clock shadow with his hand and seeing, I came to realize, seeing a man, most probably for the first time in his life. Both the boys had hair matted down on their heads. One of them had crossed eyes. Both of them moved slowly and rigidly, almost like nonstop clay animated characters from the Christmas television specials of the 1970s childhood. We loved them both at an intuitive and almost primal level from the very first second. The transformation of these two ex-orphans into the sons I saw, I see every day of my life running through my house with Lego toys and construction paper drawings motivates me. You think about adoption stories like that, children coming out of terrible conditions into an amazing family. That is exactly what Jesus did. He came, and when he came, he found us in the cruel and harsh conditions of the orphanage of this world. We were estranged. We had no family. We were without God and without hope in the world, and we were natural-born sinners. And that's why, if you take a look at verse 5, take a look at verse 5, what Roger said for us last week, Jesus came to redeem us. To redeem us from what? To redeem us under our condition of being under the law. Uh, Paul in Galatians 3.10 says what our natural condition was before Christ came into the world. Quoting the Old Testament, he said, it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We, by our very nature, are born rebels. We're born orphans who are estranged from God because of the sin that lies upon us. We do not do the things that God has asked us to do, and we do the very things that God uh, does not, uh, tells us not to do. And this is our condition. Uh, each one of us belongs to one of two families. We may all share different last names. We all may share different physical backgrounds, but all of us belongs to one of two families. Either you are in the cursed family of sin or you are in the blessed family of God. And this really is what Paul is getting at. But praise God that Christmas happened. Christmas happened. And because of that, 
we have been rescued. We have been redeemed. Paul goes on in chapter 3, verse 13, to tell us Christ redeemed us. How did he redeem us? He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When he came, he came to embrace our curse, to take it on himself so that we might be redeemed. When Paul begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That's the orphanage that we belong to, this present evil age. You think about it, doesn't that explain so much about why the manger was the way it was? Uh, I did devotions for our preschool kids in Kids Express Preschool this week. I tell you, friends, you can set me before, you know, 250 people for a half hour sermon and I'm fine. Set me in front of 20 preschoolers and I'll stay up all night in anxiety just worrying about this. But I told them the Christmas story. And I asked them in my lesson, I said, Jesus, when he was born, he was born in a great, big, beautiful palace, wasn't he? And they said, no, no. And one girl said, no, he was born in a barn. <laughs> I said, that's right. I said, now tell me, why was he born in a barn? They weren't as confident in their answer on that one. So I said, don't you think that he was born in that stinky, dirty barn, laid in that feed trough to show us that he was coming to embrace the dirt, to embrace the cruel conditions, to embrace the curse for us so that we might be rescued. He came so that we might be taken out of the orphanage of this world. And Paul says, just as we were redeemed out of this world, we were also adopted into the family of God. Jesus came to adopt us into the family of God. Take a look at verse 5. Why did he do this redemptive work? So that, Paul says, we might receive adoption as sons. Paul says that this adoption is something that is there to be received. Jesus has done all of the work necessary. He has made it possible. It is there, free for the taking, free to be received. Some of you may have had the great privilege of being in a courtroom while an adoption was being finalized. And you know that all-important moment when the judge looks to the child who is going to be adopted and says, would you like so-and-so? to be your mommy and daddy. Now, what does the child say in that moment? Does the child say, well, I hope to. I hope to earn it. I hope to be a good enough boy or girl to be adopted into this family. I, I, I hope, I hope. No. What does the child have to say? Yes. The offer is already there. The affection is already there. It's free for the taking. All they must do is say yes. This amazing adoption that God offers to us is not something that we earn, but something that is to be received. How do we receive it? Now, Paul tells us earlier in the book, in chapter 3, verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
through simply trusting in the work that he has done to make this adoption possible. Now, I want us to reflect, as Paul lays out this gift of adoption, I want us to reflect on what it is that we receive in particular when we are adopted into the family of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through this spiritual adoption, what do we gain? First of all, Paul tells us that we gain the best identity, the best identity. Uh, Take a look at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says, you are sons. He does not say you are tolerated. He does not say you're forgiven criminals. He doesn't even say you are now friends. He says you are sons. J.I. Packer, in his amazing book, Knowing God, it's a book that every Christian should read. All of you should have at least one book on your Christmas list. If you haven't read Knowing God, that should be the one that you put on your list, okay? Uh, Read it. Amen, says Pastor John. In his uh, amazing book, Knowing God, in the chapter on spiritual adoption, Packer has this great quote. He asks the question, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Then he makes this very striking statement. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers higher even than justification. The act wherein when we by faith receive Christ, we are declared guiltless of our sin. Packer says, adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Justification is a judicial idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of of love and viewing God as Father. No greater identity can be conceived of than to be sons and daughters of the living God. In fact, when Paul writes in the preceding verses in chapter 3 and verses 26 through 29, he sort of just trips over himself in declaring the amazing reality of the new identity that we've been given through faith in Christ. Just look at what all he says we are in Jesus in read there in these verses. He says, you're all sons of God. You're baptized into Christ. You have put on Christ. He says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are Christ's. You are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs. This this was a radicalization of the conception of adoption in the ancient world. In the ancient world, when people did adoption, not spiritual adoption, but physical adoption, they only adopted on their same level and status in society. No one would have adopted a child who was lower in society than they themselves were. And then the gospel came. Jesus came into the world and God showed this amazing grace and love in that who are the children that he chose to make his sons and daughters through adoption? Those who were way below his status. Those who actually 
rebelled against him, those who were under the curse of sin. So no wonder that John writes in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. You think of the Christmas story, all that Jesus did as the Son of God so that we might be adopted sons of God. He left utter glory to come down into utter fallenness. He left the place of high esteem to take the place of lowliness. He left the riches of heaven to embrace poverty. He left sinless heaven to take on the sins of earth so that you and I might enjoy the same sonship with the Father that he enjoyed before time even began. Through this spiritual adoption, first we receive the best identity. Second, Paul says, we receive the best Father, the best Father. He talks about the work of the Spirit that goes on in our lives through our faith, through this adoption in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He actually says the same thing in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. He says, you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, this... Uh, this new identity that we are given as sons and daughters of God creates in us a new spiritual countenance where we actually begin owning God as our father and seeking him as our father. And this, Paul says, is something that we cry out. What do we cry out? Verse 6, Abba, Father. Abba, the equivalent of like, Daddy. And he says, this is what we cry. In other words, what is the proof that we really are the children of God? What's the proof in the pudding? In our moments of pain, in our moments of need, suffering, and trial, who do we call out to for help? God. God. Some of you know when uh, children are first adopted, they're given the, the mother and father are given instructions to keep that adopted child at home for a while and not bring them out into uh, you know, the, the world and, and have a lot of people around in the beginning. Why? Because that adopted child, before their adoption, has gotten so used to looking to other caretakers for their affection and for their provision, they need to learn now to look to mom and dad for all that they need. And in the same way, we, we as Christians, we have lived a whole past life looking around at everything but God for our need. And the Spirit is working in us a new heart to look to God for all that we need. In fact, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, that formerly when we did not know God, we were enslaved to those that by nature were not gods. When we were in pain, when we were in need before Christ came into the picture, what did we look to? Oh, maybe we looked to money or sex or entertainment or success, alcohol, pornography. The list goes on. 
but now we look to God. Our orientation switches from looking to the horizontal to now looking to the vertical, looking to God. And this actually, this surprises people. It surprises our friends and families because those who know us best know that we really often do not look like we belong in the family of God. I mean, just look at me. Um, we know that, that we do not always act like we should in faith. In fact, I shared this story in the first service. I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I'll share it again. Uh, we have an adopted son in our home, Canaan. Uh, Canaan is half Vietnamese. Canaan does not look like us, even though he is our son. And a few weeks back, I was eating breakfast with some friends at uh, Coffee Co., the best place to get breakfast in the whole county. Uh, amen. And um, one of my friend's moms, who hadn't seen me in a while, came in, and uh, we talked a little bit. And later that day, I got a, I got a text from my friend whose mom it was. And he says, you'll get a kick out of this. My mom says that she saw you at Coffee Co. And she said, there was a baby with him. I guess it was his son. I don't know because anytime that he wanted food, he reached out to Adam. Anytime that he was fussing, he, he reached out to Adam. So I don't know who the child was. <laughs> and my friend said, well, that's his son. And she goes, but he looks nothing like him. <laughs> yeah. What has taken place? There's something at the level of the spirit, the level of affection that breaks all the barriers of the differences and unites us. In the same way, we don't look like our heavenly father, but the spirit is working in us something of a bond that we look to God as our father. In fact, over time, Paul says, we actually do begin to take on the family traits, the family characteristics. We start taking on the likeness of our heavenly father because he ends the book of Galatians by actually telling us that our old sinful nature begins to give way to the spirit's nurture. Nature starts getting overtaken by the nurture of the spirit. In Galatians 5, as he ends the book, he talks about this. What is the spirit working in us? He's working in us the family likeness as the adopted children of God. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who is like that perfectly? God himself. He's slowly molding us in to the family image. Now, all of us are in different stages. Some of us, we may look at those things and we say, boy, do we belong in the family. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder if God could really love me. But the wonder of God's grace and mercy is that if we truly have received Christ as Savior and Lord, then we can be sure that these are the very things that the Spirit is working in us. Well, through this adoption, we have the best identity, the best father, and lastly, the best inheritance. Take a look at verse 7. Paul just follows out the logic of his argument. So he says, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you are a son and daughter of God, if you've been ushered into the family, then all the rights and privileges of the family are yours to be enjoyed and utilized and even more to come 
and eternity. Now, when we talk about inheritance, we're getting awfully close to the gift of assurance, and I don't want to step on Grand Pastor John's sermon for next week, so you're going to have to come back next week to hear more about this inheritance and more about the gift of assurance. As we think about this, what an amazing thing that God would choose to bring us into the family. You know, when I put Canaan down at bedtime, I love to tell him his adoption story. Uh, almost every night I do this, I tell him his story, and then I always follow it up by saying this. I say, son, your story is so special because it points everybody to the even greater adoption story. And he, he's starting to be old enough that he likes the hand motions that I do now. So I say, because God, God sent his son down into the world and he died for our sins because he loves us. And then I say, but then he rose again from the dead and Canaan to start going like this. And I go, because he's so big and strong. And Canaan goes. <laughs> and I say, son, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and follow him, he'll forgive you of your sin. And God the Father will adopt you into his family so that you can have God himself as your father and you can be a child of God and there is no greater thing that mommy and daddy want for you than for you to be adopted into God's family by believing in the Lord Jesus and then I pray for him and I say amen and he started going ah <laughs> this morning you may find yourself an orphan in this world. Why not today receive the adoption that is offered to you in the gospel by trusting in what Christ has done to make this adoption possible? Why not today be an adoptee into God's family? It's not a perfect family, but it is a family that has a perfect father. What other identity are you seeking? What other family are you looking to belong to that, that could measure up to what God has offered here in the gospel, started in the Christmas story? This Christmas, receive the adoption that he offers. And for those of us who've been adoptees into God's family for a long time, we close with Packer because he could say it better than I can. In the end of his book, his chapter on adoption, he says it so well. The immediate message to our hearts of what we have studied is surely this. Do I, as a Christian, understand myself? Do I know my real identity? my own real destiny. I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. 
Every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over to yourself, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows that it is all utterly and completely true. Heard the story, think it's odd, the whole thing fraught with complications. The play begins with a baby God and all his blessed implications. But it's true. It's true. A Savior who came down for you. This Christmas, let's praise God for our adoption story and come to understand more and more what it means to be a part of this family of God. That in Christ we are chosen, we are loved, we are accepted, and there is a family to which we belong. Let's pray.